An interesting thing is that you might need to be on the higher side of the range to feel good, where I need to be on the lower side of the range to feel good, right? And if I was in your range, even though we're both within the, the normal range, I will feel overly estrogenic, just as an example. And this is really what's important about is when you're working with someone is to work with someone who is very open-minded that, yes, testing is one thing and looking at the results, but it's not just, the person is not just a paper doctor, but also listens to the symptoms. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. The modern medical mindset is that perimenopause and menopause is an estrogen deficiency disease resulting from ovarian failure. I call it an outrage. Maybe you have been told that your symptoms mean that you need birth control or hormone therapy. Goodness knows I have been told that I needed both at one point in time. Women have been led to believe that the slightest symptoms of menopause, they should run out and get estrogen replacement. While estrogen levels will decrease during menopause, the truth is estrogen levels do not fall continuously until after a woman's last period. In fact, far more women suffer from the effects of estrogen dominance during the transition to menopause. During perimenopause, most women have too much estrogen relative to progesterone because progesterone is the first hormone to decline during our 40s. And some women can suffer from symptoms of estrogen dominance for 15 years, beginning as early as 35. I had estrogen dominance at age 36. And here's the hard truth that most doctors do not know. Estrogen dominance is at an all-time high for women 35 and older, and it has been linked to allergies, autoimmune disorders, breast cancer, uterine cancer, infertility, ovarian cysts, fibroids, increased blood clotting, and it's also associated with acceleration of the aging process. It's an area that we need to look more closely at, and because of that, I am planning to dedicate a full episode to reversing estrogen dominance next month in February. But to get this conversation started today, I've invited my dear friend and fellow hormone expert, Magdalena Vasaki, to speak on why we need to address estrogen dominance. Now, before I bring on Magdalena to share her brilliance on this subject, I want to take a moment and celebrate you. Every single day, I hear from new listeners who are recommended by you. One such listener is Heather. She reached out to me just a week ago on Facebook. Here's what Heather had to say. Whoa, Dr. Marisa, between your liver episode and your sugar episodes, you have impacted my decision to finally break up with sugar. I have been hesitant for so long due to feeling so tired every day, but I realized that my sugar addiction is playing a big role and I'm finally ready. I'm following the recommendations in your book and I'm committed for 21 days and then I'm going to decide what's next. I'm hoping that I won't be chained to the sugar demon anymore. Thank you for chipping away and finally convincing me. Well, thank you so much for sharing your epic win, Heather. I am so happy to shout you out today. And I am so glad that you are choosing to go sugar-free for 21 days. I am also going sugar-free for February when I launch my group detox program. Giving up sugar as a community is always easier. Now, if you're listening, Heather, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my book, The EO Hormone Solution, with a personal note from me, just to help you out a little bit more. You can reach out to me on Facebook, where you found me, or on Instagram, at Dr. Marisa, and we will get it out to you ASAP. Now, if you are listening... First, welcome to the show. This podcast is all about empowerment, and if it has helped you in any way, I would love to shout you out too. You can reach out to me via Insta, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes, and let me tell you, that is the gold standard, or whatever podcast platform you are plugging into. That way, we are changing the way women think about their bodies and empowering them with the knowledge to become the CEO of their health. Let's jump into this amazing conversation with Magdalena, but before I bring her on, I want to quickly sing her praises. Magdalena Swazaki is the founder of Hormones Balance, an online community dedicated to helping women to rebalance their hormones naturally. Can I get a what, what? 
Magdalena is a certified nutrition coach, herbalist, and a published best-selling cookbook author, speaker, and educator. She's got a long history of hormone challenges. Her health crisis was the direct result of a highly stressful life in advertising, starting with Graves and Hajimoto's disease to adrenal issues and estrogen dominance. Today, she's in full remission, lives a symptom-free life, and teaches women how to find their sacred hormonal balance with her books, programs, and education. Well, let's bring her on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Magdalena. Oh, girl, I am so happy to have you on today. Ooh, we're going to be talking about estrogen dominance, and you are my go-to expert when it comes to this topic. And before we jump into this, I would just love for you, I know this is your second time on the show, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey, because goodness knows you have a big-time hormone journey, but what really inspired you to want to dig deep into this particular area of focus? Because no one talks about it, you know? Oh. <laughs> and we're all struggling with it. Right? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, no joke, like 70% of women, some way or another, have estrogen dominance. And we can go over the symptoms in just a second. And I can guarantee you that 70 or more percent, percent of your audience will relate to some of those symptoms. And, you know, and the scary part is that we are just told this is part of being a woman. You've got PMS as being part of a woman, right? You've got terrible headaches before your period as part of being a woman. You've got irregular periods. Well, get on the birth control pills, right? And the amazing thing is that is completely reversible. In fact, I believe that this is the easiest hormonal imbalance to fix. So, you know, compared to, for example, adrenal issues or comparing that to mitochondrial issues or having Hashimoto's and autoimmune elements that is so much more complex to deal with. I really think estrogen dominance is easy peasy compared to the other ones. So, how I got into this game is that. First of all, I would just say this, that genetically, I am highly predispositioned to be a very, very poor estrogen metabolizer. In fact, when my doctor, a functional doc here in, you know, in, in Colorado, where I live, saw my lab work for the first time, I went in there with like a whole printout of, you know, of labs for the past couple of years. And she started going through my genetic stuff and she's like, have you had breast cancer? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, you were like, no. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, a history of a lot of breast lumps, but no, no cancer. And she says, well, you know, the reason why I'm, she's like, I, I'm, I don't mean to be, you know, morbid here, but typically when I see women with your kind of genetics and your age at that time, I was 45, I would see, I'm not expecting, but I would see cancer, right? Breast cancer, typically. And, you know, this doesn't come as a surprise because on both of my, my parents' side, there is a lot of cancers in women, estrogenic cancer specifically. So breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and uterine cancer. In fact, my dad's sister just passed away uh, less than a year ago from, uh, from uterine cancer. You know, so definitely I got the bad genes for that on both sides of my parents' side. And you might say that I'm a ticking bomb in some ways, but on the other hand, you know, as, as we all, probably your audience knows and appreciates that the whole beauty of epigenetics is the fact that your nutrition lifestyle changes, right? Your ability to detoxify, sleep, your stress levels, your food quality can really manage your hormones in very, very effective ways. And that's exactly what happened with me. You know, when I was diagnosed with estrogen dominance, probably about 10 years ago, for the first time I started having hair loss that was really horrendous. And I've always had terrible PMSs and in lumpy boobs and thyroid nodules, right? All of those are symptoms of estrogen dominance. And my doctor ran these labs and, and I remember started reading about it. And I came across this paper that said, you've got to detox your liver in order to be a better estrogen metabolizer. And I was like, holy crap, why didn't I read about this before? I've already, like, you know, I'm running this practice. I'm focusing on thyroid and Hashimoto's. I already know so much. Why didn't I know about this? And I just did an experiment, Marisa. You know, all I did was I just incorporated two tablespoons of flaxseed every day. And then I retested some very simple blood markers. It's like that, you know, the, the metabolites. It's a very simple, very almost a primitive test. But just to see... And within three months of doing that, my markets have completely shifted. And that's when I started really seeing that food can really play a role. So there's a combination of you know, fear uh, on my end, for sure, seeing so many women in my family passing away from and, and suffering really with estrogen dominance. 
combined with incredible curiosity of saying, like, I don't want to live that way. I want to really be in charge of my health and, and mitigate as much as I can. But also, you know, thinking, why on earth are there so many people, women who are suffering and no one is talking about this in terms of solutions, you know? And that's really what got me interested in this space. Mm, I love it. And I love so much that you are always, you've always been a part of the solution, not the problem. Like when something hasn't made sense, you have dug into the research and then realized, like many of us, that millions of women are dealing with these same issues. And yet we are just prescribing pills or we're prescribing birth control pills or we're prescribing level of thyroxine or whatever that may be and not actually addressing the root cause. And that is exactly the work that you have done. Let's define what, because again, so many of us don't even know what estrogen dominance is. Let's define it. And would you do us the favor of giving us some of that, the, the kind of the biggest symptoms around estrogen dominance that I think a lot of women would relate to? Yeah. So the classical ones would be things that is just so close to home uh, that it's even hard to imagine that that's not okay, right? So for women who are still menstruating, it will be things like having a terrible PMS. When you go to the bathroom, you pee, and then you see blood clots, right, in the toilet bowl. That's, that's a very significant uh, symptom of estrogen dominance. Just having irregular periods or lack of periods or incredibly heavy periods when you're bleeding for 20 days straight, right, all of them can be due to estrogen dominance. And then you move to like some little bit more cosmetic things like, you know, carrying a lot of weight around your thighs, your butt, right? Like, you know, the typical pear shape. So give me an example, Marisa, like when I put on weight, right, I, it goes straight into my butt and my hips right away, right? Nothing in my tummy. I've got a nice flat, hard tummy, no problem there. But, you know, women, for example, who tend to be having more, let's say, um, issues with metabolism and blood sugar balance, right? That's when they put on a lot of weight into their tummy. So it's really interesting how your hormones can really manifest in different weight um, distribution distribution of fat exactly around the body, right? So your pear-shaped type is typically very estrogenic. You know, you're having cellulite around your your thighs and you exercise five, six times a day and you go like, why is it that I'm losing your weight everywhere else but not there? That's because you're still very estrogenic. You know, and then you look at some unusual growth stuff, like, for example, thyroid nodules, lumpy breast, fibrocystic breast, you know, like women who part of the month, they can't even go on a rebounder because the breast hurts so much, right? That's not normal, you know? And then you have things like with fertility problems, right? You know, whether it's a miscarriage in a, well, let's just start off with women who just can't get pregnant. You know, this is not my area of expertise by any means, but I can't tell you how many women have told us in the past that just by following the estrogen dominance protocols, they have gotten pregnant. Some of them was planned and some of them wasn't planned, <laughs> you know, which is kind of got a double-edged sword. But also miscarriage, especially in the first trimester, can often be due to, and we can talk about the different types of estrogen dominance, but low progesterone can be a cause of that. So, you know, and then you have other uh, serious things like, for example, endometriosis. Uh, fibroids, right? And, you know, and the tragic thing is like, especially for women who are younger, who still want to have more children, when the fibroid is found in their, in the uterus, and they're told that hysterectomy is the only way to go, right? You know, it's, it's a life-changing decision. And then there we have this myth that doctors created saying, we just remove the, it's just a partial hysterectomy. We only removing the uterus, but leaving the ovaries, and you know, making making you believe that you're still gonna be able to produce your own hormones. You will for six months to a year, but after that, these ovaries will stop functioning. Why? Because the blood supply to the ovaries actually happens through the uterus. So when you have no uterus, the ovaries eventually will die off. And so, you know, so eventually that that person is gonna be on hormones, estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, and whatnot for the rest of her life. Right? I would say those are the major uh, major concern. You tell me. What woman do you know who has not had any of those, you know, on some some capacity or another, right? Absolutely. No. I mean, and here's the thing, and I think we're going to get into this, is that given the environment, our modern environment, it's really difficult for us to not unfortunately experience some level of estrogen dominance unless we're being extremely proactive. You know, if we're just going about our day, doing the things that we normally are doing, using 
um, products or whatever that may be, like personal care products, cleaning products, whatever that looks like, maybe eating certain kinds of foods, we're going to ultimately end up with estrogen dominance. And so I'm really excited to go into this. And especially, especially as we head into perimenopause, where we already know that progesterone is going to start to slowly drop. And just because of that, in our 40s, most women, I mean, I would say that the bulk of reason why women in perimenopause struggle so much is because of estrogen dominance. And it's, it's absolutely an area we do not address, we do not talk about, and it's absolutely preventable and reversible. A lot of these horrible symptoms that women are going through in perimenopause can really be addressed if we could just get the estrogen dominance under control. You know, and this is, I think, a good segue to talk about why, like the different types of estrogens and why, why does it happen that when you're going into perimenopause and menopause, right, and your estrogen is at a fraction of what you used to be in your 20s, right, how can you still be experiencing estrogen dominance even though your estrogen is so low? And that's actually one, one of the funny things on, on, you know, on our website, there is, we have this estrogen dominance quiz and is asking women about high and low estrogen. And, and then the results come out and it says, you might be experiencing low estrogen. And then it also says, you might be also experiencing estrogen dominance. And they'd write to us and say, your quiz sucks. You guys, you people have no idea what you're talking about. It's contradicting each other, which is, you know, which is probably correct, uh, logically speaking. But this, this is where the nuance comes in of when it comes to hormones. So what we need to know that even though your progesterone and estrogen drop, and so let's talk about estrogen here. Your estrogen significantly starts dropping. Perimenopause is like all over the place. And then at menopause, you're really low. Now, how can you have estrogen dominance? It can happen for two, in two ways. The first one is that even though you have low estrogen, that estrogen gets broken down to metabolites. And I want to just use a very simple, like a graphic description of this so our audience can visualize what I'm talking about. I call it the clean and dirty estrogen. So imagine a river that's flowing, right? And in the middle of this river, you have this bank, right? Just, just you know, just nice bushes and, and trees and whatnot with strong root system. And what happens is like the, the river goes through that bank. And imagine if that bank acts like a filter and filters out then the water to like two separate streams, if you will. One on the right side, those are the clean estrogens, right? Those are the estrogens that build you up as in give you good cardiovascular health, good brain function, make your sex life to be still decent, your vagina to be still fairly wet and, you know, and your skin to be nice and, and soft and subtle, right? And then on the other hand, you have this other stream that's dirty. And that's what I call the dirty estrogens. Those are the metabolites that are the, the ones that are causing all these symptoms that we talked about. So even though the stream, if you will, the, you know, maybe you might not be having a river because you're at that age. Maybe yours is just a stream at this point. But even if that stream breaks it down to too many of those dirty, that dirty stream, right, as compared to the clean one, meaning you have too many of those dirty estrogens, you can still experience symptoms of estrogen dominance. And that's why it's very, you know, you, you asked about it, why women, the most common age of women starting developing breast cancer and being high risk it's not when they're young, when the estrogen is high, it's after 55, right? Those are the highest numbers. And why is that so? Even though you're low on estrogen by that time, it's because of the way your body is breaking down those estrogens is problematic. It's just too many dirty estrogens. The other way this can happen, that you can experience estrogen dominance even in that age is because, you know, even though um, both progesterone and estrogen drop together going into that phase of your life, progesterone unfortunately drops significantly much more and quicker as compared to estrogen. So one of the real important factors in experiencing good hormonal health is when you have a good balance of estrogen to progesterone. And progesterone is, if you think about it, like, you know, I like to think of them like two dancing partners, you know, like if you've seen dance competitions before, if you just see two friends dancing, and if the guy is like overly flamboyant and you know, and like super showy and the girl is very timid and, and kind of withdrawn, right? It looks really odd. And, and, and so you really want like, like a good balance between those two and they really balance each other out. So with progesterone, you definitely have to have a good amount of that. And because it drops so quickly, you end up with having too much estrogen, even though both of them are low and too little progesterone to oppose it. And that is why you talk about 
in either category, whether you've got lesser clean estrogens versus the estrogen metabolites, you see estrogen dominance there. But then also, even if you've got low estrogen and low progesterone, if there's significantly lower progesterone, we're looking at estrogen dominance as well. And it's really the comparison between the two. So they can both be low, but if estrogen is still dominating over that progesterone, there's not that equal dance, then we have an estrogen dominance issue. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's say we, we are suspicious of this. Let's say a lot of this is adding up. The boxes are getting checked. How do we test for this? What is the best way to test for estrogen dominance or even just comparing all of these hormones? Like, How do we get a sense of things? How do we look at these metabolites? How do we even know the liver is doing its job? Yeah, so I know you're a big fan of Dutch as well, right? Uh, yeah, D-U-C-T-H. So I, I highly recommend to get that done and then work with somebody who can interpret the results for you. Right? Yes. Yes. You know, when you get the results, it's, it's really, this is not meant for a layman to read this and it's going to be overwhelming and intimidating. So work with somebody and, and that is a beautiful test because it shows you exactly all the things we talked about and more. It's also going to show you cortisol and DHEA and testosterone and industrial progesterone, industrial, uh, the metabolites, which is really what we are after. And I think they just recently added melatonin as well, which I thought was pretty cool. That's one option. You know, that costs, about, I think it's probably about $300 to do that. If you don't want to do that, then the, the next step down will be doing saliva testing, which is better than nothing, but I'm not a biggest fan because it doesn't show you the metabolites. Yes. Let's just speak to that a little bit, like how important that is. And also just a couple other things that we really love about the Dutch test is the Dutch test is a home test. So the cool thing about it is that you can do it at home. You can order it yourself. Hopefully you have a practitioner who can order it, but you can order it yourself, send it on in. They actually have practitioners who will read results for you and they can refer you to a practitioner who can read your results. And so they really are very proactive because they know a lot of women, their doctors won't order this test. And so they've really, up, they've really created a system where they know how important it is for us to get this kind of information, and they make it as easy as possible for us to get the information that we need from the test. Right. I didn't realize that they, they do that. That's great. That's awesome. That's a new, that's a new feature. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, but that's typical of a progressive company, right? So that's, you know, that's great. So saliva testing, you know, this that used to be like the golden standard before Dutch came up about, I would say was popularized probably four or five years ago. Before that, saliva testing was better than nothing. But, you know, it's cost about the same money. And, and I'll say why just, you know, why not just go with Dutch straight away? The reason why I'm not a fan of saliva testing is because it just doesn't show you the estrogen metabolites. It shows you the three different types of estrogens, estrone, estradiol, and, and estriol, which is better than nothing. But I feel like the, there's so much research now that shows the nuance really is in the metabolites, the 2, 4, and 16 hydroxyestrones, right? And that's really what we want to be monitoring. If your practitioner just does that, if you, you know, you have money to spend, sure, just do that. And then the one test, type of test I would do not recommend is blood test. The steroid hormones will be things like the estrogen, progesterone we're talking about, but also cortisol, testosterone, and DHEA, those are all steroid hormones, also known as sex hormones. Why? Because I've seen this over and over again. Well, first of all, blood shows you the total and doesn't show you the free, like what's available actually for the body to uptake and use. And the bottom line is that, you know, when I was in private practice many years ago and, and women will come in with those tests done by their doctors and they'll say, look, Magdalena, everything, my doc tests, like my progesterone is great. My estrogen is all in place. Everything is normal, right? And then you're talking to this woman who, who has a fibroid, you know, like she's got three fibroids in the, in the size of walnuts and, and she's got these horrendous periods and she's bleeding like crazy and her thyroid has got nodules on it, right? And, and you're like, those are screaming estrogen. So anyway, so, so that's why I don't waste. Blood is great for thyroid, right, markers? Yes, blood is great for thyroid markers. Making sure you get that full panel, though, which is for another conversation. But yes, yeah, so when it comes to the steroid hormones, the reproductive hormones, we just cannot and do not get a picture. And also note that oftentimes in primary care, doctor's offices or in the modern medical system, their normals are very wide. So you may fall into normal range and basically not pathological range, but that doesn't mean anything. The normals are just not tight enough for us to gauge exactly what is going on. One, blood just doesn't give us any information at all, but just note that your doctor is always going to tell you that you're in normal range unless something's pathological. 
Yeah, and you know, I will say the same thing actually also about um, just to be careful with interpretation of labs, any form in, for that matter. Give you an example, for instance, with, um, you know, like with Dutch, there is also a range they give you, right? And, yeah. you know, an interesting thing is that you might need to be on the higher side of the range to feel good, where I need to be on the lower side of the range to feel good, right? And if I was in your range, even though we're both within the, the normal range, I will feel overly estrogenic, just as an example. And this is really what's important about is when you're working with someone is to work with someone who is very open-minded that, yes, testing is one thing and looking at the results, but it's not just the person is not just a paper doctor, but That's also right. listens to the symptoms because if they, you know, if, if you're still having a lot of symptoms, even though even Dutch, it's, it doesn't happen that often, but even if Dutch is showing everything is perfectly normal and you're having, you're highly symptomatic of estrogen dominance, you know, it's still worthwhile to, to do some of the dietary supplement interventions that we can talk about and not ignore it. I 100% agree. We are not lab reports, right? We are, we're more than just labs and it really taking into account all of the, all of the symptoms, all of the issues. And so if someone's coming back normal, you're, if your labs are coming back normal and yet you feel like you're crazy because you're having these symptoms, you're not crazy. You're having these symptoms and that needs to be addressed. So we just want to make that, make that really clear. Okay. So let's just say because you and I have both have dealt with estrogen dominance, one of two of millions of women. And if we're not careful, you and I can go right back into it, right? It's not like once you're estrogen dominant free, that you're good to go. So let's talk about three foods that we can add in things that we should be, you know, foods that we should be mindful of foods that we can add in what we can do to keep ourselves out of the estrogen dominance range. I know that we're not gonna have time to go into full on protocols and that's why I'm gonna be directing people back to you because you're gonna you're such a wealth of information in this area of focus. But what how can we start once we know yeah. that we have it? Yeah, great. So, you know, let me just say first that the there's two organs that really are hugely responsible for clearing, you know, you remember that the the bank I was talking about in the middle of the river, right? So there's two organs that act as that filter, if you will. The biggest one is your liver, okay? And you know, liver detoxes are very popular and all that, right? And and I'm a big fan as well. The problem with a lot of times people do those detoxes and then go back to binging like a few days later, right? Which kind of like, so, so you live like that for 300, you know, 30 days, 350 days, and then you do 10 days of a detox, right? They yeah, kind you of get like a mini liver vacation, but then you right. put your liver back to work. Right, right. So, you know, what we want to do is, I'm a bigger fan of incorporating things um, that are easy, that are found in the supermarkets on a, you know, pretty much everywhere, even, you know, in Safeways and Walmarts and all that kind of stuff, regular foods that can really make a difference. So for example, I would say, you know, instead of buying things like lettuce or zucchinis, right, you know, which are on a very much on a low spectrum of nutritional density, replace those with foods that are um, the cruciferous vegetables. So cruciferous vegetables is the brassica family, the cabbages, if you will, right? So cabbage, arugula, all your radishes, kale, collard greens, your mustard greens, right, are all cruciferous vegetables. And the reason why we love them is, is for a couple of reasons. Number one is they have a better quality to them. So guess what? For those people who've been to Europe, and I know you guys love Italy and you travel there often, Marisa, you and Alex. So, you know, when you go to Italy, a lot of times um, you have a bitter drink prior to having a meal, right? Like this uh, aperitivo, you know, like whether it's aperol or whether, you know, whether you go to France as well, you have the Camparis, right? And if you think about it is, yes, it is alcohol, but it's really the bitter quality we're after. And the bitterness prepares us for digestion, but it also stimulates the liver tr tremendously. And when you stimulate the liver, that's what is going to help with metabolism of estrogen. So that's the first thing we love about the cruciferous. The second thing is that cruciferous vegetables are generally very high in DIM, which a lot of people take as a supplement, and that's fine too. But I'm a big, you know, believer of actually using that and supplementing, adding that into food as well. So DIM stands for the aldolomethane, and that helps with again with um, estrogen metabolism and clearing of estrogen in the liver. Not to mention the third thing is that these foods are also high in fiber generally, 
I guess all vegetables would be, but, you know, especially when you do things like kale, collard greens that are very fibrous, right? Vegetables. And we want the fiber because you want the bowels to move well and, and have um, no constipation. When you're constipated, let me tell you this. I have never met a person who's constipated and hormonally balanced. It just doesn't exist. When you're constipated, all the hormones get recirculated back into your body, especially those dirty estrogens I talked about. That's what happens, right? So cruciferous vegetables will be like one big category to incorporate that. You know, we're talking about four to five servings a day. A serving will be like a cup, right? And it can be cooked. It can be sauteed. It can be, you know, in summer, you can do be doing raw. So all of those forms are perfectly fine. I would say, you know, the second food, which is part of the cruciferous vegetables, but I feel like it, it deserves a call out by itself is our broccoli sprouts. Mm-hmm. Girl, tell us about broccoli sprouts. Yeah, right. So do you grow them sometimes at home? Uh, we do. I tend to buy them though, because we do consume a lot of them. Yeah. And you travel quite a bit too, we right? Travel, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So broccoli sprouts, you can, first of all, you can grow it at home. Uh, it takes about five days to grow them and very low maintenance. So I have a blog post on my website. You can take a look at how to do it. I, oh, just Google it. And there's lots of videos showing you how to do it. But the beauty of broccoli sprouts, and I just want to highlight it's broccoli sprouts specifically I'm talking about here, not alfalfa or rat, other radishes, which they also have their own benefits. But all the things I'm going to talk about, they are very specific to broccoli sprouts. So broccoli sprouts contain a substance called sulforaphane. And sulforaphane is a compound that is, <laughs> now we see research that's coming out that says, I don't know if you know this, but one cup of broccoli sprouts, Marisa, contains the same amount of estrogen blocking abilities that a daily dose of tamoxifen does, right? And so women who have breast cancer are put on tamoxifen. The problem is that they, they can only take tamoxifen for no more than five years. Right, Why? or it because becomes very dangerous. It's very toxic. It's super, it just messes up your liver. And so your doc has to take you off. And, and it's a very scary prospect for a lot of women because they're like, then, then what do I do, right? After I'm off tamoxifen, like, is that cancer going to come back? And of course, now they are testing new drugs and all that stuff, right? But guess what? It's like that broccoli sprouts one cup a day and you don't want to cook it. You want to put it into a smoothie, into your salads. It should be uncooked. Has that sulfur. So what's beautiful about sulforaphane, not only is it an estrogen blocker, so it blocks those dirty estrogens from reaching the cells and doing the bad work. Like, for example, growing the fibroid or growing a thyroid nodule or causing the profiliation of cancer cells, right? So really powerful substance, but also sulforaphane, we now know that acts on the liver. So it works in two pathways that are both responsible, the methylation and sulfation pathway, that are both responsible for clearing estrogens, right? So again, it gets rid of those dirty estrogens, really powerful stuff. And I just want to give one tip here on broccoli sprouts. If you want to triple the contents of sulforaphane, in broccoli sprouts. Then do something called a hot bath on the broccoli sprouts. And I have, um, I'll send you the link to my video when I'm showing how to do the hot bath. It's basically, you dunk it into hot-ish water. You, it's not boiling, it's, there's a way to reduce the temperature. And then you keep it there for 10 minutes. And there's actually a research paper I had found that shows that when you do that, just for the 10 minutes, and then you can drain them. You can put them in them. Um, like, let me talk about storage in a second. But you can basically then use them immediately. You've just tripled the sulforaphane in them. So really an amazing food in that way. And I will tell you, you know, that part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because towards the end of my private practice, I, I'm not in private practice anymore. But when I was towards the very tail end, I had a woman, let's just call her Natalie. So Natalie came and she had initial stages, she had stage two breast cancer. And she basically was going gonna go through a full removal and all that. And she she and I talked and, and I said to her, So listen, this is absolutely your obviously this is obviously your decision. You have to do your research. But you know, in the meantime, as you're waiting and researching and having your appointments scheduled and all that, right? And doing the testing, I just want you to incorporate one cup of broccoli sprouts every day. And I didn't even know about the hot bath back then, you know, this is several years ago. And she started doing that and it was just unbelievable. This is, that's why I'm so passionate about this is because she came back and she said, you would not believe this, but my breast cancer started shrinking. And she went back for testing. She ended up having a, a local procedure instead of having a full breast removal, which was a huge win, obviously. But this is like, I just love the kind of stories. 
and I think she was doing it for like close to a month when she started seeing the the growth of the of the tumor actually shrinking. So the you know the tumor shrinking. So that would be you know that would be my second food. Uh, oh yeah, I, I talked about storage. So one one thing you know that these sprouts because you put them in water and they grow in water, so you don't want them to become moldy. One way to do it is to when you strain them, put them in an airtight container, but at the bottom of the container, put a paper towel like. A couple of them and so the paper towel will absorb all the moisture and that way you can keep the broccoli sprouts up to five days i sometimes keep them even up to 10 days and the minute you they start you know smelling moldy then you definitely want to throw them away and then you know i think the third food i'll mention for estrogen dominance which is kind of i actually want to talk about it because it's a very paradoxical food and you would have you'll be probably surprised why i i mean not you but many of our listeners might be surprised why i recommended is actually um, is flaxseed. So flaxseed, many people know flaxseed as being a seed that naturally contains phytoestrogens, right? Mm-hmm. So natural occurring estrogens. So you think, hell Magdalena, why are you recommending more estrogen when I'm already estrogen dominant, right? <laughs> Makes sense. Well, here's, a, here's an interesting thing um, that you know, first of all, let's not demonize estrogen per se, right? Because you do need estrogen in order to be a woman, for you to have a good sex drive and be able to have your periods and, you know, and just be a woman, right? I mean, to function properly, to have your brain function, to get cardiovascular health, all of that, you need good estrogen levels. So I don't want to demonize this here. The problem with estrogens is like what we talked about is the dirty estrogen, the metabolites. Right, metabolites. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you know, so when it comes to flaxseed, the beauty is that you're giving yourself a boost of really good estrogens here. But also the incredible thing about uh, flaxseed is that it works on the liver to become that additional filter in the liver and the gut um, in helping you to steer the direction in the direction of clean estrogens away from dirty estrogens, which is really beautiful. The other thing about, I love about flaxseed is the fact that it contains both soluble and insoluble fiber. So insoluble fiber is like, like a sweep that goes through your colon, right? And we talked about why you do not want to be constipated. You know, anyone who is constipated, if you just do two tablespoons of ground flaxseed, and if you're really constipated, just do two to three tablespoons of full flaxseed with a, like a big glass of water, and you have that at night, I promise you the next morning, most likely you're going to go to the bathroom. And it's basically creates like the slimy matter, right? And evacuates everything really, really nicely. Really great tip for for constipation. I use it a lot, Marisa, when I travel because I get to be constipated. This and magnesium. Yes, I was going to say this and magnesium. And yes, so often, I hear so often from women and myself too when I'm traveling. Like my, it's like my body knows the second I get on a plane. Doesn't matter if I had a green smoothie that morning or if I had a bunch of broccoli the night before. My body's like, nope. And so. Always travel. I mean, if you're not able to travel with flax seeds because you find that to be complicated or hard, definitely be traveling with magnesium citrate. Yeah, citrate is exactly the one that makes you go. I mean, flax seed is just so wonderful in that way. And, and also, lastly, let's not forget that fiber in general is super beneficial for the liver. So it kind of goes back. We go back in the circle of going back to the liver that you know, you're supporting your liver in detoxification that way. And also, let me not forget that when it comes to the soluble fiber that I mentioned in flaxseed, it feeds the good bacteria in the gut. And, you know, one of the fascinating things that we are now discovering is the gut has its own subset of bacteria that codes for enzymes that basically break down estrogen. So in other words, there are bacteria that specifically break down your estrogens to the dirty and the clean metabolites, right? And that's so fat. It's called the estrobolum. And that's just so fascinating. And flaxseed can, can steer that again in the right direction. I will say, though, I just want to just be fair to this. So once in a while, we get an email from someone saying, I've added flaxseed, just like you said, and I got worse estrogen dominance from it. Like my breasts are really tender now, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's flaxseed. So I was very puzzled by that for a long time, Marisa, you know, and I started researching this. And there's one paper I found is that when a person is having that kind of paradoxical reaction is because they are not breaking down the flaxseed properly because they do not have the right bacteria in the gut. So bottom line is this, I think most people will benefit tremendously from flaxseed, but if you're in the minority, 
that A, tells you that, first of all, stop taking Flexi because you don't want to be any more estrogenic. And number two is that I think it's, it's probably, you know, giving you a little signal that your gut bacteria might need a little bit of more variety and a little bit of a boost. Absolutely. And I think it's super important to, to just over the general scope of this whole conversation, as we're talking about these two important organs, the liver being the first step for breaking down those estrogen metabolites, but then the gut being the reason why they go through, like, that's how you get rid of them. And if that, if our gut microbiome isn't thriving, isn't healthy, which unfortunately for a lot of us, we were struggling in the, in the gut department. It's really important that we are doing the gut work too. Yeah, totally. It's all interconnected. No surprise there that um, it takes multiple systems to really break down this excess estrogen in the body. Um, I'm so grateful that you mentioned constipation as well. I mean, again, your, your bowels have to be functioning properly as well. And if there's an issue there, we really have to look at what's going on with the gut in general. The shitty thing about what we were talking about, right, is that it's like, oh, man, now I have to, you know, take care of my gut too and get on my elimination diet and clean out my food and stop eating junk and, you know, maybe stop drinking booze. And it's like, oh, man, it's a lot of work. But here, here's the deal, you guys, right? First of all, when you start making these changes, it becomes a second nature. When you start feeling good and start seeing wins, right? That's when you kind of go like, I don't want to go back to eating food. But they are so fundamental to your overall health. And I say this because a lot of times people go, well, you know, I have estrogen dominance. So I, I'll do a couple of things. I'll do progesterone, right? I just do topical progesterone. Okay, great. And then I'll do DIM. Like, I, you know, I bought this DIM thing online and, and I started taking, it's like, yeah, it's helping my breast. You know, my breasts are better. My period is better. Or somebody's got hot flashes. They go like, oh yeah, you know, I heard black cohosh, like this Chinese herb thing that can help, right? And here's the deal, you guys. It helps temporarily, typically, but if your gut and liver are in a mess, these symptoms are all going to come back and sometimes with a vengeance. And all these little, you know, progesterone here and dim there and can work temporarily. Like a lot of women will say, you know, my hot flashes with the black cohosh have gone away. But then after a month, you know, two months later, it's all back again. Like, I'm so frustrated. This damn herb isn't working anymore. And you, then you talk to this person, you're like, yeah, but you know, you're still very inflamed from the food you were eating. Like you were living on gluten, you're living on coffee, you end your day with two glasses of wine, right? All of that highly inflammatory stuff that's just aggravating your, your digestion. And, you know, and it all comes back. And so if you really want to have long-term results, put in the work. It doesn't have to be all in one. It, it can be very gradual. You just do one thing at a time. And, you know, there's so many different protocols out there. You can follow how to repair your gut or support your liver. And whether it's Marissa's book, whether it's my book, we are very much on the same page. The approach might be a little different. But it's it's very similar approach over I mean the the product the the steps are very the things that you do in, in general like are somewhat similar, you know, uh, but I think that's just gonna be so worth it because you're setting yourself out for long-term success. Absolutely agree. Like it is, it's all encompassing. I mean, I think one of the beautiful things how I always like to think about it is if we find out where you have estrogen dominance, just as an example, is it, it really is the opportunity to go and support our liver, to go and support our gut and to go and create some really powerful lifestyle changes that keep us in a place where our bodies are functioning. And I think ultimately that's what Magdalena and I are both looking for for you is that these are opportunities, kind of like little, little wake up calls, little signals in the body to tell us, okay, we've got to, we've got to do some gradual changes. As I mentioned earlier, just because you're taking a supplement or you're rubbing a cream on to manage that estrogen dominance, doesn't mean we've addressed all of the other key root causes for why this happened. And it's not like it's ever going to just be gone entirely. If you go back to that lifestyle, estrogen dominance, it may take a little bit of time, but best believe you're going to build up those bad estrogen metabolites. And that's the reason I'm really excited to be having this conversation is that, like you said at the very beginning of this, of this interview, that although millions of us are struggling with it and doctors are just suggesting surgery or suggesting birth control or suggesting just progesterone cream, that we actually can create some really incredible lifestyle changes, actually seamless lifestyle changes to get this under control and to also support our liver, support our gut and support our natural hormone processes. So, you know, one thing that kind of 
really irks me in, in many, well, a lot of things irk me, but <laughs> you know, I was gonna say, girl, <laughs> related to estrogen dominance. I mean, generally, I'm, I'm not an angry person, but, the, but anyway, gallbladder. So, gallbladder is an, an estrogen dominance has a very intimate relationship. So, a lot of times when you have estrogen dominance, what happens is that estrogen can actually cause gallstone buildup. Okay. And, and as you know, probably a lot of people know, the reason why we have uh, gallbladder removed is because you have so many gallstones there that uh, the doctor recommends to remove it. It's almost like as if it was this useless organ, right? And then what happens is that a person has a gallbladder removed. And again, sorry, also, you know, you can have a gallstone from a lot of other reasons, including dairy intolerance is one of the most common reasons why you're building up gallstones. So it could be a lot of reasons why, you know, you got it to that point. And then let's say you lose your goal, your gallbladder. And that's, you know, what I said earlier irks me is that there's 250,000 surgeries performed every year in the United States. And according to the Mayo Clinic, 70% of them were preventable in the first place. So you might think like, well, it's not a big deal. You know, in fact, a lot of women will say, oh my God, I'm so happy I got rid of this gallbladder because I'm just pain-free now, right? Well, the deal is that the problem with gallbladder removal is that you are not able to eat fatty foods, including good fats, as, as well as you used to before, right? Unless you start supplementing with ox bile, which I highly recommend. Okay. I highly recommend that. But a lot of people are not even told about it. So instead, they avoid fats, right? And they demonize fats. And it's like, oh, everything is fat. I don't touch fat. Because, because then you run to the bathroom. Well, the problem with reducing fats, you can go on a low-fat diet, is that you do not pro- then you're not producing enough HDL cholesterol, which is the precursor, is like the, the food, if you will, for all the steroid hormones we talked about, all your progesterone, cortisol, DHEA, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone are all created from, from cholesterol, from good cholesterol, from the HDL cholesterol. So that's the first thing is, right, your whole, all your hormones are, there's a possibility of all your hormones start tanking after a while. The second thing, which is a bigger problem in my world, estrogen dominance, is that the gallbladder stores bile, right? So the liver produces bile, but then it, it goes into this pocket, into this storage house, right, called the gallbladder. And, you know, a lot of people know that bile is being, that's what makes you poop brown, and that's what makes helps you emulsify the fat so you can digest the fats really easily, blah, 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 right? But not many people talk and realize that the bile is also a way for the body to evacuate those dirty estrogens we talked about. Not a very well-known fact, in- including practitioners do not know this. And so here's a kicker, Marisa, is that whenever I post something on our social media about gallbladder and removal and all that, right? And people, and you know, and I'll explain that connection between how the gallbladder losing it can be actually causing more estrogen dominance. And we always have women coming on saying, you know what? I never connected the dots, but I had my gallbladder removed. And then six months later, started having all these hormonal problems, including breast lumps. And then some women will say, you know, a year later, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, and the list just goes on and on and on. And so that's why it irks me because I feel like, you know, doctors just paint this picture like it's this useless organ where it really isn't. Absolutely. Well, and it's, and here's the thing is so often, like you said, we can actually reverse those gallstones. We can create a way of preventing that. Bile is so, so critical to hormone balance, to liver support. I mean, and it's just one of those things where it's it's a procedure where we're just like, oh, well, you can just have it removed without any conversation around the consequences or what possible lifestyle strategies we can do to actually get our gallbladder back online. So I'm so happy that you had that conversation Can I just say, you know, when it comes to gallstones, I mean, there are specific, like there's a lot of solutions for, I'm not an expert in this, but you, you know, a person can, you just Google that. And, but if it's too, if it's like really advanced, you can actually, there are specific acupuncture points and there are herbs and including there's lasers that actually break down those, those gallstones just to let folks know. So if you, if you just search around for this, there's ways of doing that so you can save your gallbladder. Hmm. Thank you so much. You have given us so much, not only facts and understanding, but also what we can do and how we can start. I want to guide people to your incredible book, but also I know we've got some links we're going to be sharing about the broccoli sprouts. Anywhere else you want us to to plug ladies into? You know, just just visit my website and see if 
what what resonates with you. We have great recipes every day. We post something new that is always dedicated to women, you know, to the kind of lifestyle I want everybody to live. Like, for example, we've just had a whole bunch of new desserts that came out and that are healthy, as healthy as we can possibly make them, right? Like if you're in a colder months, it's like a lot of soups and stews. So really beautiful recipes that are really beautiful and healthy. Yeah, I think my website is really my digital home. We'll send everyone there. Also, just in case you guys don't know about the book from Magdalena, one of my absolute favorite books. Oh my gosh, I'm always so inspired by this. And her cooking is so incredible because we've had the opportunity to be to have a lot of um, to have Magdalena cook for us. But cooking for hormone balance and whether it is estrogen dominance, whether it is you're concerned about a, th- a thyroid dysfunction, whether it's progesterone or she just covers the gamut of hormone issues and really provides detailed protocols from liver detox. I mean, across the board, I love this book because it was so well thought out and so beautifully put together. Thank you. You know, I think you got to be an author to, to know what it takes to do a book. <laughs> yes, you do. And you did such a marvelous job. So I will send you guys on over to the website. I'll also have the link up for the book as well. If you want even like just really get into the nitty gritty of how to create these protocols. Magdalene has done such a great job at that. Thank you so much. You know, you are such a dear friend of mine. I love what you are doing in the world and I'm so excited. I know that you're working on a new book right now on estrogen dominance and I cannot wait, girl, to share it with my audience. I know it's not done yet, but we just want you guys to know that that is coming down the way. Thank you so much for having me. Always great to be here. Mm -hmm. Bye, Henny. When it comes to estrogen dominance, there is so much to unpack. But I hope that this interview shed light on some of the most common signs and symptoms and provides you with natural remedies to reduce estrogen dominance today, especially with the key foods and herbs and supplements we talked about. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I will be dedicating a full episode on reversing estrogen dominance next month in February with everything that you need to know to be able to reverse it and get your body back on track. I also want to invite you to check out Magdalena's website and cookbook. Her book, Cooking for Hormone Balance, is one of the most incredible resources that is out on this topic. Definitely grab it if you don't have it already. The links will be in the show notes for that as well. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essential You podcast. When you look for the links, it's going to be episode 162. And I just wanted to let you know that in the upcoming episode, I am bringing on James Clement to share his research and insights on cellular longevity. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very interested in cellular longevity because I know that is how we reverse aging, most particularly cellular aging. Now, his research on intermittent fasting, keto, and cell apoptosis is where it's at. I'm so excited to share his new groundbreaking research with you. I have a feeling it's going to really inspire you for what's possible, not only in cellular longevity, but also just living your best life. Until then, have an amazing day. 